So first of all, good morning and welcome to those who are in person, those who are joining us online, to our catechumens and candidates and their friends and family and their godparents. It's good to be with you this morning. Mark tells us that the spirit of Jesus, the spirit drove Jesus into the desert. That spirit was the spirit of Jesus. Last Sunday, I came back from a week of silent retreat. Would it be okay if I just told you a little bit about the silent retreat I was on? Thank you. I'm glad you said yes. Because if you didn't, there would be no homily. So first of all, where was I? I was at the Abbey of Regina Laudis. It's an abbey of about 40 contemplative cloistered Benedictine sisters in Bethlehem, Connecticut. What was I doing there on retreat? I think sometimes people hear about retreat, it sounds like this mysterious and vague thing. Maybe it's some kind of vacation. Maybe the priest just goes away and puts on his floaties and pours a pina colada. And then a week later comes back from retreat. That's not what happened on retreat. I got up each morning between 5.30 and 6. The sisters I was with get up every morning at 4.30. And we would pray throughout the day through a cycle of psalms and scriptural readings called the Liturgy of the Hours. Priests and deacons make a promise to pray them when we're ordained. And there are a number of lay people who have benefited from praying them too. We have a group every morning at 8.15 during the week that prays this cycle of psalms. So that started at 6.15 for us. We would pray them from 6.15 to 7. I would have an hour of silent prayer from 7 to 8. We would pray another three psalms at 8 o'clock and then celebrate Mass, um, which would usually last around uh, 45 minutes because they have a lot of beautiful music that they sing even at daily Mass. And so by 9 a.m., we had prayed for about two and a half hours. The sisters have a work period from 10 to noon, and they made it very clear that they were happy to have me there during the work period. So I shoveled, I, uh, they gave me a pitchfork, and I cleared out manure and hay from the pig stalls. I learned how to groom a donkey. Uh, I learned how to split wood and had a great time splitting wood with Mother Augusta. And then on the last day, I just moved boxes. The way that I uh, came across these sisters, I had heard about them for a long time, but was looking for a place where I could go, starting this past fall, to go for one day a month just to spend a day in prayer. That's a practice I've had since seminary. And I found this place, and when I first went, the way I knew that I was definitely going back was that at some point in the afternoon while I was there, I saw a sister in this habit. They wear these big habits that come from a tradition at least a thousand years old, and she was driving a pickup truck backwards up a hill. <laughs> You'll see me next month. <laughs> so we would have uh, lunch at noon, a small lunch, uh, and then another half hour of prayers. I would have a little break in the afternoon another hour of silent prayer. We would pray uh, evening prayer together at 5.30. There would be a little time for dinner. And then night prayer at 7.30. And by the end, you were pretty ready to go to sleep. 
What does it mean for us that Jesus goes out into the desert? Is it because he didn't like people? No, it's not that. Was he a ruthless introvert? Maybe, but that's okay. God creates our personalities the way he does. But Jesus went out because prayer is the center of everything. We don't know how much. You can't verify it empirically. How much the prayers of 40 women who have given their whole lives over to prayer sustain the world. Sure, it may look like everything is falling apart, but what would the world look like if there were thousands of people who weren't doing that? We can't know. Jesus, the Son of God, was the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully human, and he took time to be a part, to pray with his Father. So how much more do we need that? The thing is that in most of our lives, there are a lot of voices moving around in our thoughts and in our hearts, and a lot of the time we don't even know that those voices are there. We don't know the stories we're telling ourselves about our worth or our value or where it comes from or our identity. But those things all influence us. We may not know we're telling ourselves these stories, but we're certainly part of the stories, and sometimes they bring us to good places, and sometimes they don't. And so the gift of silent retreat, I hope everyone here at some point in your life is able to do that, even for just two days. It's a little tough during COVID, um, but when COVID is over, I'm bringing everybody with me to this place. But what happens on silent retreat is you become aware of those thoughts. They come to the surface. You start to realize the assumptions with which you're living your life. Assumptions other people have given to you, that maybe you've given to yourself. And sometimes it's immediately clear, this is junk, I gotta get rid of this. But sometimes it's not so clear and it takes some discernment. And that's why silent retreat isn't just for yourself. It's not just to plunge into your own thoughts that would destroy us. It's to let in the voice of God, the one who always and consistently speaks the truth to us, who reminds us that we are made in and for love, and nothing less than his total self-giving love is going to fulfill us. Everything else is less. Two things, two fruits really came out of this retreat for me. One was it was just very healing to have an experience of prayer and work being integrated. I don't know if you have this experience that when you pray, you think a lot about what you're going to do the rest of the day. I don't think it's just me. (laughs) And that maybe when you're working, you never really work in a focused way. You can work spread out kind of flinging yourself at everything, but over time never really going anywhere. And it was just healing to be living with people who don't have the kind of illusions or who are working really beautifully and powerfully to overcome those delusions. And the second thing that came out for me is that God revealed slowly over the week 
that there are a lot of parts of my life where I think that I am the main person in control when he is the one who is mainly in control. This was the image I had, that there are a lot of parts of my life where there's a wall and I spend my whole day pushing on the wall. And then at the end of every day, I'm angry because I spent the whole day pushing on a wall and it didn't move anywhere. That's what happens when you push on walls. They don't go anywhere. And what God spoke to me gently over the course of the week was, what would happen if you prayed? It doesn't guarantee that the wall is going to move, but if you push on it, you can guarantee the wall is not going to move. So pray first. Invite me first into these parts of your life about which you are frustrated, and then act after that. So my encouragement to all of you, but especially to our catechumens and to our candidates in this final and this beautiful period of preparation for these sacraments you're going to receive, is to carve out space for God this Lent so that you can hear his voice. What can that look like? We have Mass here every day at 8.30 in the morning. You could just pick one day of the week and say, on that day, I'm going to go to daily Mass. You could turn your phone off for an hour, just once during Lent, and see what happens. It's great. The Sacrament of Reconciliation is always available. Father Patterson and I have it scheduled from 3 to 4 on Saturdays, but we're available anytime. On Wednesday, I celebrated two liturgies at RPI for Ash Wednesday, one at noon and one at 7. After each of those liturgies, I heard an uninterrupted hour of confessions, no breaks. And I think there was probably one or two people who came to confession who were over the age of 25. One or two people in two hours, over the age of 25. So people are continuing to experience healing through this sacrament. And the last thing we can do is God has given us such beautiful nature, especially in this part of the country where we live. People are going crazy right now because they've been stuck in their houses for a year. Our, our heads are kind of compressed. All of the thoughts, the stories we're telling ourselves are compressed. And often we need to go apart. Like Jesus went into the desert, into nature, for things to be released. Just find one Saturday morning that's going to be family time, and you can go on a hike. God wants this time and this space with us so much that in the fullness of time, his son came and suffered in the desert, suffered on the cross, died and rose for us to give us new life. This isn't a fiction. It's not a story we tell ourselves. It's the truth, and it's the only truth that sets us free. And that body, risen, glorified, suffering but glorified, that our candidates and our catechumens will receive at Easter, we are blessed to be in the presence of, to receive even now, Jesus' body and blood on this altar today.